0: Morena, no mai kiti korero, welcome to The Catch-Up. It is Friday morning on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi onetangata on Manawatu. It's also Friday morning everywhere else, by coincidence. Uh, and that means we turn our attention to central government and we have on the line from Wellington, Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki. Ata uh, Ian.
1: Morning. Right
0: and so yes it's it's been a couple of weeks since we caught up and, and plenty has been happening uh and we'll get to sort of the the juicy matters shortly but um something that uh every MP likes to see is the drawing of their members bill from the biscuit tin and you were the uh, the lucky candidate this time
1: Well two of us in fact, Barbara Kruger and I share an office and we both drew a members bill uh uh last week and uh, and uh, like I, that's the third one I've had drawn in my time here, so I guess I'm one of the luckier MPs in that respect. Um, both my previous two bills, interestingly, have passed. I'm not so sure about this one because this one's a little different in that it's, um, it will be subject to a conscience vote because it's an alcohol-related uh, matter. Uh, yeah, this is the this is that we've had before.
0: This is the bill that a uh, scoop uh, referred to as the BYO bill for racecourses, um, which I, I guess this needs a bit of explaining. What's the situation at the moment with regards to alcohol and racecourses, and what are you seeking to amend or change with this member's bill?
1: So the bill came out of a time when Winston Peters was very vocal about the the fund police, I suppose, and. And Chris Bishop, who's a com- um, compatriot of mine, uh, designed this bill. Uh, I took it up as I was as the racing uh, spokesperson, still am. Uh, and if you go back in time, or if I go back in time, I can remember this, many people won't, um, families used to go to the races on a Saturday afternoon and spend, or on a Saturday and spend the day there having a picnic lunch and the kids would play around the back, and I remember doing this myself, uh, while the parents had a bit of lunch and might have had the odd beer with it and, and uh it all came out of the boot of the car, and there's still some racecourses that do that. And uh, Christchurch or Rickerton, for example, is one very prominent one that does exactly that. And so, in the old days, you were able to. Oh, I'm going back now, aren't I? In the old days, you were able to take your own uh, alcohol and food along. Uh, nowadays, the 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 way that law has been interpreted, and and in fact, the police and for uh, the police have an influence in this. BYO effectively is very difficult to operate on a race course because of the way the law is interpreted. And so you no longer can do that. You can, in some race courses, and reckon again is one of them, go to the races, buy your alcohol from the licensed outlet and take it to your car. Now, um, that's an option, but it's not a great option for most people and most people will understand why. And so really it just enables families to go to the races, sit beside the running rail, Spend the day there in the sun, uh, hopefully, uh, with a bit of lunch and a couple of beers or or whatever, and watch the races.
0: So I guess my next step uh, question is, is this unique to to race courses? I know your members' bill is unique to race courses, but can people do that at the the cricket, at the rugby, at the soccer, at motorsport? What's the difference there?
1: That's a very good point, and and this was, as I said earlier, specifically designed uh, around the amendments that Winston Peters was putting in through the race through the Parliament around the Racing Act and things like that at the at the time and it was specifically designed to deal with race courses for that reason. Unfortunately, you're quite right, and A and P shows and uh, all sorts of sports events and things like that have the same issue with uh, with respect to licensing and and this is a modern thing because the licensing laws have changed quite a bit. But unfortunately the licensing laws, like every other law actually, penalises uh, um, the vast majority for the few that don't uh, um, adhere to the law uh, or don't behave themselves. And so so it's a bit unfortunate. So you're quite right. It it applies to a lot of things. But this particular bill applies to racecourses.
0: And, uh, I mean, do we want to encourage and make it easier for people to bring alcohol, as you said, in the boot of the car, uh, consume that alcohol and then drive home?
1: Well, I don't imagine that the driver would be consuming the alcohol and driving home. Uh, I don't think that's likely to happen. I think the issue is that that events of all sorts, as you said, and this one's particularly close to racing, attracted people and people, um, and I know when I was young, for this very same reason, became interested in horse racing, became interested in A&P shows for that reason as well. Uh, and I think that the, the difficulties of attending these events and t- attending them as families... And uh, you could argue that they don't need alcohol. Well, that's you know rugby, racing, and beer. That's New Zealand. Um, I I think that um, I think it's taken a lot away from those events, and it's actually taken a lot of people away who otherwise might have got involved in those businesses.
0: I, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with race courses, but I have been to the Awapuni race course for, for non-race related re, uh, reasons, uh, conferences and the like. They are licensed premises. Are, are they entirely happy with this? Because what, I, I guess what you were alluding to earlier on is that people, this doesn't, buying your alcohol on site doesn't necessarily suit people because it's not as cheap as the loss led Wine, you can get from the supermarket. There's, there is a premium associated with alcohol on site. Are, are the racecourses happy at this potential loss of revenue?
1: Uh, I don't think it's going to affect the big racecourses. So I think that what I call the premier racecourses, like our Hawke's Hawks Bay. Uh, um, and one or two of those. I don't think it's going to have much effect on them, but you, it's a good question, though, because some of them would not be entirely happy with this and wouldn't make the facility available. Uh, it's really to deal with the Waverleys, the Cows, the um, Stratford was a classic example, it's closed now. Um, it's designed to deal with those sort of country racecourses w- which don't have the facility, and, and frankly, you would not take your family, well, I wouldn't take my family necessarily, to a licensed um, part of the racecourse, just because it's not... Um, A place you take your family to, and so, and you're probably aware of that when you go to (laughs) Albury. So I think that it's a specific, a specific market it's meant to appeal to, and it's for specific reasons. And I think those people would not ordinarily go to the licensed premises on the racecourses.
0: Well, I mean, that, I mean that's an interesting point as well. You, the, the insinuation there is that there are family-friendly parts of racecourses and not family-friendly parts of racecourses. Would it not be better to make an effort to make the whole place a place where families and multiple generations of families can go and attend and enjoy?
1: That's a very good point. And, of course, one of the things the, racing, the work on the Racing Act uh, pointed out what the, was is that there's hundreds of millions of dollars required to make that happen uh, effectively. And so, that, so there's some massive infrastructure challenges on race courses as well, uh, as there are with all sorts of sporting and, and uh, recreational facilities in New Zealand because there's so many of them. Uh, and, uh, and that's going to change, and it will change as a result of the reform of the Racing Act. Uh, and, you know, it might be that one day you do see exactly what you're looking for.
0: So uh, your members' bill has been pulled. Uh, I think the, the normal course of it is a first reading and then there's select committee and things. Where, where are we in the process with this now? Are we still right at the beginning or is it passed any subsequent uh, steps?
1: R- right at the beginning and a lot of work to be done because you've got to get a few people on site side if you expect to get it to the select committee. Otherwise, it gets thrown out at the first reading. Uh, and because it's a conscience vote related to alcohol, um, that's going to be an interesting process too, going to give me some work to do. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it'll be what it'll be. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, some good ideas get through, some don't some bad ideas get through and some don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll watch with interest. Um, One other thing that you uh, have been involved in recently on the 11th of October, that's how long it's been, I think uh, the last time we spoke was just in the lead-up to this. Uh, You were at the Globe Theatre, I believe, for uh, the Two Leaders Series. Uh, Tang Utikere, MP for Palmerston North. Uh, Tiana Tuiono, the List MP for the Greens and yourself as MP for Rangitiki. Um, Up on stage, I guess, sharing your views and experiences how did that go?
1: Oh, look, I thought it was really interesting, and the reason it was interesting is normally we'd be up on stage competing with each other. Uh, there was no competition there; we weren't trying to get votes. Uh, I, I think we were trying to give uh, the public an insight into what we what we stand for, what we are, and why why we stand for what we do. And actually, I think it's interesting because through the three of us had uh, a lot of very similar views on a lot of um, things, and and also. Uh, whilst we all have slightly different backgrounds um you know at the end of the day we we'll all arrive in the same place for the same reason
0: well, not entirely different backgrounds i know uh tannyauchi uh, very much a racing man himself
1: oh he is exactly that's right. he's spent a lot of time involved in the racing industry and i think you know i think that that the the idea of this series in my view or the great idea the good thing about it was that it actually gives people an insight into the fact that the three of us are We all stand in different parties for different reasons, uh, but actually uh, we all want the same thing.
0: Well, I, I'm not sure that's the, the, the unanimous view but it's, it's I'm glad some people hold it. Um, we are here with Ian oh, McKelvey. Well, you've
1: got to be an optimist.
0: You've got to be an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you know my, my lineage and heritage. Optimism doesn't come easily to us. Uh, we are here with MP <laughs> for Rangitiki, Ian McKelvey, on the Catch-Up this morning. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Um, Ian, the uh, it's been quite an interesting week because I'm not going to say that this story uh, pipped the post in terms of COVID. COVID is pretty much the number one story every week at the moment, but this came close. Uh, this was Nanaya Mahuta and the uh, government that she serves uh, pushing through with the Three Waters reform. Uh, this was sort of I want to say hanging in the balance because a lot of councils were pushing back on this reform. The vast majority of councils were pushing back in one way, shape or form um, on this reform. But the government have decided they're going to push ahead. Uh, and as a result, I see uh, your Facebook page in particular saying National will reverse this uh, at the next election if you bring us in. So you're pretty strongly opinionated on this matter.
1: Yes, I think, and I think it's absolutely been... Uh Well, my view has been completely vindicated by the headline in the Dominion on Thursday which says government consults on a water commissioner to regulate the prices and provision of big and unresponsive drinking water and wastewater services. <laughs> that's, that's their own response to their own setup, up and that completely sums it up, because actually the ratepayers are the best monitor of price you could have. In fact, you could argue the ratepayers have been too good at monitoring price around water, ser- water services because <laughs> we don't have as good a water services and wastewater services as we might have had. But I, I think that's how that's a completely sums up our worry, and it's extraordinary that the government would then go out to consult on a water commissioner to regulate the prices. I mean, I just can't believe it. Well, so, um, so that's our position, really. they are the, the reg- not opposed to the regulation.
0: The, the regulation of the the prices is one thing, but I mean, at the moment, I think the the argument is still making sure that the information that the government has put out is interpreted correctly and Nanaya Mahuta has been very vocal uh, on the misinformation that's been put around but also the motivations for this reform you know they're, they're citing 185 billion uh, worth of expenditure and investment over the next 30 years one in five water supplies uh, serving more than 100 people not meeting standards 34,000 people a year get sick from poor drinking water uh, 3300 sewage overflows last year it's i mean it's a serious situation that we're in
1: well you could you could argue that, but then you could equally argue that more people get sick from eating some forms of food by a mile than, than get from our drinking water. Yes, but who's but to know that my th- drinking water is not part of that argument you're putting up, which has been in a tank that mightn't have been cleaned for five years? Yeah, well, and that's and, and, not going to change I, that. You see, that's the problem.
0: No, I, I agree. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. the, the 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 rural communities are, are not served uh, ideally by this. When you have tank water, I am one of those people as well. Um, but I, I, no, I I don't take the point about being poisoned by food because this what this says is it is inconsistent across the country. It depends on where you live, what the quality of your drinking water is, and water is a fundamental uh need. So that should be consistent across the country, shouldn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the last water services bill was put through Parliament because it it effectively formed the regulator. And the problem with the water standards in New Zealand has been the Ministry of Health, not the the councils. There's been no enforcement of standards across the country or no uniformity of standard. And that's what uh, the last Water Services Bill, which went through Parliament about three weeks ago, exactly was set up to deal with. And, And I don't think we're arguing that there's not some reform needed in the water area. There's no question that there is some reform needed. What we're arguing is that uh, I don't see why uh, a wrongateer, uh, which is not far from where I live, should be regulated by by um, an organisation in Wellington. And I'm not sure that um, uh, the people in Bulls wonder why they could be regulated by some people in Hamilton. That's the issue, I think. It's been removed completely from local uh, import and and, and local... uh, uh, influence in what might happen. And if you want to put a development in bulls, you're going to have to go to Hamilton and ask them to supply water to your development. That's, but, in my view, uh, not going to happen, and it's outrageous.
0: But that's, that, that provides the consistency of supply, doesn't it? Because it's regulated by a fewer number of bodies that have consistent standards in place, whereas at the moment we have over 60 local authorities that either uh, willfully or because they can't afford it have not been maintaining the drinking watered standards. To again, I say, one in five water supplies in this country that serve more than hundred people don't meet our standards.
1: So that, that's exactly the argument I was just mounting. So so that's why uh, Timata Arawai was formed, basically to 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 sort those standards, and and we're not arguing that that. Uh, there shouldn't be some rationalisation of water supply. And uh, Hawke's Bay and one or two other places have come up, and so if, actually Horizons, just region have looked at it as well, have come up with very good, uh, um, I guess, collective water supply um, methodology, which I think would work very well. Uh, I think the problem we have is that, if, as I said, if you want to put a development of, or housing development in bulls, you're going to have to go to Hamilton to get permission to put the water on. And do you think for a minute, uh, and you've only got to look at the power reforms to see what's happened, that, that you're going to get a quick answer in bulls when there's a couple of three. Uh, um Developments in Hamilton taking precedent, not likely, and I think that's one of the big concerns we've got about this bill.
0: Well, they have said that there will be local people around the table, there will be iwi representation around the table, and uh, you know, one could argue that the speed of bureaucracy that, for example, Palmerston North City Council, uh, it wouldn't be hard to match that uh, from a purpose-built organisation in Hamilton purely for water. Well,
1: that's a nice argument. But again, given your lineage, you've only got to look at the Scottish water system, which as this is modelled on, which which is not performing at all well. Fair enough. And there's plenty of evidence of that.
0: Do you agree with Christopher Luxon that this uh, is tantamount to state-sanctioned theft?
1: <laughs> well, politics is politics. i um, uh, <laughs> I think it's effectively removing an asset from a local community and placing it in central government hands.
0: Which um, is, I mean, it's still, in pub- state, it's, state it's still public. It's still public ownership, though. It's, it's still public ownership, though, isn't it?
1: It is public ownership, but it's not local public ownership. And I think the issue is that that if you and, and you can, if you only can look at the three councils across the very cl- my very close proximity in Palmerston North, Manawatu, and Drangatike and very different water standards and this is playing into your argument, very different water standards, very different amount of money being needs to be spent, and very different asset values on those three councils and so suddenly you take all that away uh, and the better off councils are, uh, are poorer, and the poorer councils are better off now. You could argue that's fair enough, but actually, is it?
0: Well, I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, a lot. I, we we hear a lot in the, in, in this narrative, uh, particularly when media companies go out and try and vox pop and see what the community thinks. And most people, in fairness, don't really know how their water is handled, where it comes from, who manages it. Um, and 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 to that extent, does it matter if? the funds that are used to maintain our water services come out of our rates or come out of our taxes? Does it make a difference?
1: Well, I've always had an argument that it's much easier for stuff to come out of taxes than rates because you don't know you've paid the tax. You do know you've paid the rates because you get the bill in the mailbox. Uh, So, yeah, I think it does make a difference in that respect. I I think the real issue of this, and I go back to the power reforms, the real issue for me is that I think you're going to see runaway costs in provincial rural New Zealand to shore up the inefficiencies of the big cities. And I, think, I just think that it's inevitable that will happen. So we're going to get very expensive water supplies in small areas. Now, that, that's like the, like the Minister telling us that, it, that these figures are right, which uh, you'd have to question as well. So, I mean, I'm saying I'm a bit like the Minister. I'm putting a proposition that's got no background and no real basis to it.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, So I I tell you what, though, you may have won a few votes throughout this because with Christopher Luxon saying that this is tantamount to state sanctioned theft uh, and nationals vow to repeal this and give back the water assets to the community, I think Tangata Fenua have pricked up their ears on this one and may have some other suggestions for you.
1: Quite likely, quite
0: likely. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Ian, we've got a few minutes left. We can turn our attention to the global pandemic because obviously uh, the, the the recent development, I suppose you could call it, uh, aside from the, the couple of cases in Christchurch, which you may want to touch on. But um, for, uh, certainly from my point of view, I found the uh, announcement from the prime minister with the new traffic light system uh, to replace the alert level system uh, a rather interesting, Announcement: what, What's the the National Party and your stance on this this new model?
1: I think I think that we came out uh, a few days before she came out with the with the traffic light system, with a very clear uh, um, model we were getting to. And it's interesting that the minister in Parliament yesterday effectively admitted that didn't admit I mean, that's a bad word to use because it sounds like he's guilty of something he's not. Uh, he effectively got to the point of admitting that that, that they've got to a different phase in the pandemic management and and that's clear uh, firstly by the cases in Christchurch but also by the fact that it's very been proving very difficult to eliminate from the Waikato and Outrahonga and and I think that we're going to get getting very quickly to a point where we're going to live with this and and I think the real worry is that um, for me um, is that We've got businesses that we've been promising assistance to and, and the government's still doing that. Actually, all business wants to do is get on with life. And so I think there's going to come a time when we've got to accept that we've got to get on with life and manage this situation as best and safely as we can. And. And that's going to be the real challenge for the government leading up to Christmas, I think, because this thing does look like it could get away on them if we're not very careful.
0: There is the I I, I need to state for the record that if you are vaccine hesitant in any way, shape or form, dear listener, please look to the science and recognize that the vaccine is safe and that you should take part in it. But this traffic light system seems to be offering uh, a lot of carrots uh, to business to uh, encourage them to require uh, vaccine certificates in order to gain entry to certain things. And by extension, that carrot starts to look very much like a stick to the vaccine hesitant. And I see this as being quite divisive uh, in, in New Zealand. Do you Do you see that at all?
1: I do, but I think, would, I think if we go back in time a bit, I think if we'd done this better at the start, and I'm particularly talking about the Maori vaccination, uh, and rural vaccination rates here, I think if we'd done this differently at the start, we wouldn't have had the same degree of hesitance we, we've got now. We've always going to have the, the anti, what I call the anti-vaxxers. Uh, uh, I mean, that's not a very nice way of putting it? As people who have made a choice not to get vaccinated, and that's in my view, they're right but there is always going to be some challenges around that and this is a this is a very different environment we're trying to manage now than the normal flu vaccine and and I just think that that the government has moved pretty fast actually in the last week on on what you might term mandating vaccines so in other words if you're going to go into a cafe for example you're going to have to be vaccinated and so are the staff that serve you Otherwise, you won't get in. And and the government have effectively moved to that point now. So effectively, they're, they're, um, and they're going to pass legislation to ensure it. So it is getting very testing for people who aren't vaccinated to, um, uh, I guess, enjoy the normal things in life that everyone else is able to enjoy.
0: Well, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, it, 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 on the one hand, you say that... The, the, the vaccination is a choice and indeed a right for people to take or otherwise. And in the same hand, you're saying, but if you don't do it, you're going to be, in essence, a second-class citizen with, with restricted rights.
1: That's what the government's saying. And I think given the uh, extraordinarily unusual environment that COVID's created, and in our lifetime we've never seen anything like it, uh, if you go back to the polio vaccine and the Spanish flu before it, or the polio days, and the Spanish flu before, to see something of similar ilk, and and uh, I think that the, the government's probably taken the responsible uh, attitude to this. In fact, uh, as I said, if we'd done a little bit more work a little bit earlier, I don't think we'd have had and and paid particular attention to isolated rural New Zealand. We wouldn't have the problem with. It nearly the same degree of challenge with the vaccine we've got now.
0: Well, and, and, and the, the vaccine rates are, are slowly limping their way towards 90% one dose, which is, a, I think, a good indicator of what will be double-dosed in the end. Uh, of course, once we get to 90%, then probably we're going to start looking at boosters and things as well, and that's going to be an ongoing uh, concern. The the main issues appear to be now the, the rural areas of New Zealand uh, and, and getting those areas Areas in those communities vaccinated. And, of course, Rangitiki, home to a number of rural communities. Are you aware of the vaccination rates in your electorate? Where needs attention? And, and what are you doing to try and get those numbers up?
1: So I'm absolutely aware of those things, uh, of those figures, and, and parts of my electorate are parts that are, are very recalcitrant in this respect. But we've also got to understand that they don't have... Uh, medical facilities easily available to them. They've got to travel a long way to get to those facilities. Many of them work shift work. Uh, and so, so unless the the ministry, uh, well, well, the ministry didn't, if the ministry had, in fact, done things differently in rural New Zealand and done things differently with respect to our Maori community, I think we'd have a very different result now. And so, so they've got to move uh, as quickly as they can to get out of those isolated areas, and they've got to use people who will influence um, those people because uh, the further away from the centre you get in New Zealand, the less trust you have in government.
0: So, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and everyone will appreciate that, but when you say they should have done something different, what, what, for example, could they have done differently for rural communities to get them uh, involved in the vaccination campaign sooner?
1: Oh, I, I think access is the first one. And I think the government telling people what to do, uh, it might work in Wellington, on Lambton Quay, but it certainly doesn't work in the main street of Radahe. And, and um, that's just natural, and it's a, a natural, I guess, suspicion of government, because they never see government. So they don't—they <laughs> only see government telling them what to do. They don't ever see government in action. And, and I think it's just natural, from for my observation would be, it's natural that the further away from the centre you get, the more suspicion there is of government dictates. And and that's what's happened in this case. And I think they should have got out there earlier and they should have recognised. And, and, in fact, you could argue that there's some value in the Maori health uh, unit that the government's now proposing through their health reforms. And in fact, I would argue there is some value in it. Um, uh, how they go about it. it's a different thing. But, but I just think that you've got to treat these communities differently and, the, and they need to be managed in a different manner and they need to be managed by people they respect
0: very good Ian McKelvey MP for Rangitiki thank you for joining us on the catch up this morning a pleasure and remember if you you yeah, and remember if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch up series head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up back on Monday with another edition bye for now support this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information, go to www.mpr.nz
1: forward slash donate.